This ministry has been made available by Kenneth Higgins Rama Bible Training Center, Nigeria. Twelve basic truths about the authority of the believer. We said number one, it will do the believer tremendous good to pray for revelation knowledge of his authority in Christ. Ephesians 1, 16 to 23. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. We said number two, God made Adam in his image and after his likeness and gave mankind dominion over the earth. Adam disobeyed God and committed high treason selling out to the devil and therefore satan became the god of this world and we saw several scriptures genesis 1 26 to 28 psalm 8 from verse 4 to 6 genesis 2 16 to 17 genesis 3 from 1 to 15 we just read just the first four verses. You could read uh, the other 11 when you get home. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Luke chapter 4 from verse 5 to 8. So Satan became the god of this world. Adam turned over his authority to the devil. The moment he disobeyed God and obeyed Satan, he made a choice of who his lord was. And Romans 6, 16 says, To whom you yield yourself a servant to obey, his servant ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, of obedience unto righteousness. Adam obeyed sin. He obeyed Satan. And then he became a subject of Satan. And then God had told him, the day you eat of it, in dying you will die. He became spiritually dead. Satan's nature came into his spirit. And then he forfeited his authority. And Satan now took a hold of that authority and he used it big time. He's been using it ever since. Now, it looks like there was a lease, the lease that God gave Adam. From scriptures, we know it had a time span. When those demons, when Jesus was on the earth, you know, they will be endeavoring to cast out devils from someone. And then the devil, will, the demon will speak up and say, have thou come to torment us before the time? See, the time is going to come when the devil will be cast into the bottomless pit. For a thousand years, let out briefly, and then eventually thrown lake of fire. But you see, as it stands now, he has a right to be here. Adam gave him that right. Adam gave him that right, and he's unleashing all the terror in his arsenal. But the good news is that's not where the story ends, and that leads us to our third point, number three. Number three, the third of these basic truths about the authority of the believer. Number three, Jesus defeated the devil. Jesus defeated the devil through his death, burial, and resurrection and brought Satan to nothing. Jesus defeated the devil through his death, burial, and resurrection and he brought the devil to naught, to nothing, reduced him to nothing. Jesus stripped Satan of the authority. He stripped Satan of that authority, the one Adam gave him, and he delegated it to the church. I'll take that again. Jesus defeated the devil through his death, burial, and resurrection, and he brought the devil to nothing, reduced him to nothing. Jesus stripped Satan 
of the authority, stripped him of the authority, and delegated it to the church. Jesus stripped the devil of the authority and delegated it to the church. Jesus defeated the devil through his death, burial, and resurrection and brought the devil to naught, brought him to nothing. He stripped Satan of the authority, the one Adam delegated to him. He stripped Satan of the authority and Jesus now delegated it to the church. Let's examine scriptures. Turn with me to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, and in verse 15, Colossians 2, 15, it says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Having spoiled principalities and powers, having spoiled, Jesus spoiled principalities and powers. That word spoil is the word apekdumai. You don't have to bother about the Greek word. And it means to put off, to despoil, to disarm. In ancient times, let's say one king goes to fight another king. You know, one kingdom fighting another kingdom. If this king defeated that king, he will spoil that king, take off his crown from his head, put it on his own head. You know, take all his wives, take all their stuff, take all their women, take all their children, you know, use them as slaves. The one that they don't want, who could cause mutiny, a kill. And then they will now parade those other folks as their spoils of war. These are the spoils of war. These are the booties. These are the goods. These are our trophies of victory. It's like someone, let's say he's a heavyweight boxing champion. He has his belt. Someone challenges him. The fellow who challenges him beats him. Then the guy takes his belt over. This is my belt now. I'm now the heavyweight boxing champion of the world and I have the belt to show for it. See, Jesus spoiled the death. He defeated him. He defeated him. In his death, burial, and resurrection, he brought Satan to nothing. He brought Satan to nothing. One translation says, and having disarmed principalities and powers. Disarm them. How? Disarm them of their authority. See, Jesus left the devil bare for us to trample upon. And the Bible talks about a strong man. And another stronger than he is going to face that strong man. They would disarm him first. You see, Jesus disarmed him. He took away his armor wherein he trusted. That authority that Adam delegated to him, Jesus stripped the devil of it. He obtained it from Satan through his death, burial, and resurrection. You see, God's mightiest act ever was in raising Jesus from the dead. That was the mightiest act of God. The mightiest, the greatest display of the power of God that this universe has ever known. And why is that the case? It's because on that cross, Jesus was made sin for us. God laid our sin nature on Jesus. God laid our sicknesses on Jesus. God laid our diseases on Jesus. God laid our poverty on Jesus. Jesus became a curse for us. For the first time, Jesus spoke on that cross in a way he had never spoken. See, Jesus will never refer to God as God. He was always Father, Father, Father. All of a sudden, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God forsook him. You know why? Because he had been made sin. He partook of spiritual death for us. God had to turn his face away from him. You see, the fullest extent of God's wrath, the angriest God has ever been was on the cross. The fullest extent of the wrath of God, God dealt it on Jesus. 
It wasn't what the angry mob did. It wasn't what the Roman soldiers did. It was what God himself did. God dealt with Jesus in awful justice. God laid the full wrath, his full wrath on him because of us. You see, a man sold us out. A man had to buy us back. A man goofed in the first place. The test that the first Adam took and failed, he had to take them and pass. To qualify as the Lamb of God, he had to be without spot. He had to be without blemish. He was sinless. So he qualified. Now, in the Godhead, there's God the Father, there's God the Son, there's God the Holy Spirit. They are co-equal. They are co-eternal. He always existed. Jesus was never created. As God, he has no beginning. But the second person of the Godhead, for the sake of man's redemption, decided to take a subordinate position and take on him the form first. The first step in man's redemption was the incarnation, when he took on a physical body. In Genesis 3.15, God said something that the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. You see, the seed is not of the woman. The seed really is of the man. So what was God talking about? He was alluding to the fact that a child will be born. You see, Adam was created. The rest of the human race was generated. But a child was going to be born independent of the natural processes. If he was born like we were born, he would have been a fallen being. Satan would have had dominion over him. But Mary's womb actually was just the receptacle through which that holy seed was brought forth. Jeremiah 31, 22 says, a woman shall compass a man. The marginal rendering says, shall compass a man-child. In Isaiah 7, 13 and 14, he said his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. So that was talking about the incarnation. John's Gospel, the first chapter, from the first verse. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shined in darkness. The darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Same came as a witness of that light. He wasn't the true light. He only came to bear witness of the light. This is the true light that lights every man that comes into the world. Even though the world was made by Him. He came into the world, the world knew him not. Came to his own, his own received him not. Verse 12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right, gave he the right to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, who are born, not of flesh, the will of man or blood, but who are born of God. 14 says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, or tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So you see, in the incarnation, Jesus took on a physical body. He was born as a baby in a manger. He lived the kind of life that we live. Well, not in a fallen state though. He came as a revelation of the Father. The Bible says no man has known God at any time. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. John said, uh, Philip said to him, he said, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. John 14, 8. He said, have I been so long with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. So he came to reveal the Father's heart. Came to reveal the Father's will. But 1 John 3, 8 says, he that committed sin is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. It says, for this purpose, the Son of God was made manifest. Why? What purpose? That he might destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the devil and to destroy his works. That word destroy there is the word luo. 
Another translation says that he might neutralize the works of the devil. Another says that he might liquidate the works of the devil. Another says that he might put to naught the works of the devil. Jesus spoiled the dude, reduced him to nothing, disarmed him, despoiled him, defeated him. Amen. And he did it for us. He did it in our stead. So he came to the earth. He was a man, lived among us, did miracles, healed the sick, raised the dead. But ultimately, the purpose of his coming was to go to that cross. He went to that cross. He hung there. See, when he hung on the cross, I hung there with him. When he died, you see, Jesus was not a martyr. He was our substitute. He was our substitute. He died in our place. He suffered in our stead. Our sin nature was turned on him. God, in his wisdom, my God. You see, if the princes of this world had known, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. The devil did not know that he signed his own defeat warrant. He did. In God's wisdom, he turned Jesus over unto spiritual death. He did. He partook of that nature that was in falling man on the cross. When he died, of course, where would he go? He went to hell. Not talking about Abraham's bosom. Went to hell, hell, hell. What did he go to do there? To suffer in my stead. That's why I won't go to hell. Because he went to hell for me. He went to hell for me. He suffered for me. By accepting, by putting my faith in his sacrifice, then I don't have to suffer like he suffered. Because he paid the price. He paid it in full on my behalf. Amen. You see, Romans 4.25 says he was delivered up for our offenses and he was raised up for our justification. The marginal rendering says he was delivered up on account of our offenses and he was raised up when we were declared righteous. See, we were guilty. The human race was guilty. Guilty as charged. In Romans 3, we see the grand indictment against mankind. There's none righteous, none that seeketh after God, none that doeth good. 14 charges that were levied, amen, against mankind. And we were guilty as charged. But then, Jesus now assumed the liabilities of Adam's transgression. He took the, paid the price. Now, remember his deity, we're humanity. One hour of deity suffering is worth more than an eternity of humanity suffering. In those three days and nights, he paid that price and he paid it in full. God looked at the offense that Adam had committed, the treason he committed, and the sins of mankind retroactively. You know, sins, past and future. Looked at everything, all the sins of mankind, as well as the sin that Adam committed, called original sin in theological uh, language. Looked at everything, the sin nature. He now looked at the suffering Jesus suffered. He now weighed it. It's like, let's say when someone commits a crime. And, you know, in the eyes of justice, we say, well, for a crime like this, this is the punishment. For a crime that is of this sort, this is the punishment. Now, by the time he suffered and suffered those three days and nights, God looked over the banisters of heaven and said, it's enough. He has satisfied the claims of justice. He has met the demands of the law. He has paid the price in full. They are declared righteous now. They are, they are, they are, they, he has served the term and served it in full. To keep him anymore here is to be unjust. Remember, he wasn't the one that sinned. He didn't become a sinner. But he took our sin nature on him. And then he suffered in our stead. His body was like Adam's body before the fall. He was neither mortal nor immortal. If he had not died spiritually, he couldn't have died physically. But he died. He paid that price. He paid it in full. And then God said, yes, it's enough. 
It's enough. Mankind has been declared righteous. And then eternal life was imparted into his spirit. Because he's the firstborn from the dead. He was made alive. He was made alive. And you see, when he was made alive, we were made alive with him. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he said, I am. A better friend rendering really is, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, Christ that liveth in me. Life I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, when he was crucified, we were crucified. When he suffered on that cross, we suffered with him. When he died, we died. When he was buried, we were buried. When he suffered three days and nights in hell, we suffered with him. When he paid that price, we paid it with him. When he was declared righteous, we were declared righteous with him. When he was made alive, we were made alive with him. You know, this is, Easter season is around, right? Yes. Usually you hear sermons like, well, three day, after three days and nights, Jesus rules. Whatever you are passing through, after three days and nights, it will be over. You will rise. Listen, you will rise. You rose. It's not that you will rise. You rose. You rose. You rose. You rose. And then we try to give people some hope. Look, it go better. It go better. It go become well. That's just hope. And that's really not the truth. The truth is this. My friend, you are seated with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Why is that trouble going on? Because you are letting it. Why is that situation the way it is? Because you are permitting it. The day you say enough is enough. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I'm complete in him, which is the head of all principalities and powers. The day you put down your feet, that's the day it ends. You see, when he rose, we rose with him. I notice something among Christians. There is this sense of we're always trying to arrive. We're always struggling. Even when it comes to faith, we're always trying to break through. How to get this? How to? We're always trying. We're always trying. Listen, it's because we don't have a sense of the finished work of redemption. It is not going to happen. It happened. It happened. It happened 2,000 years ago. And you see, the day you took Jesus as your Savior and confessed him as your Lord, Satan's dominion over you ended. So it's not going to end. It ended. He doesn't have authority over you. He doesn't have dominion over you. If anything, you have authority over him. Listen, there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new sheriff in town. You know who that sheriff is? It's you. You are that new sheriff. Someone said, but I thought Jesus is the one who is to reign. Romans 5, 17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, they shall reign, 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 reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. See, the believer is an absolute master of the forces of hell. He's an absolute master of the devil. He's an absolute master of sickness and disease. He's an absolute master of circumstances. He is. He's not going to be. He is. On the grounds of what happened through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. 
See, Jesus defeated the devil. Many of us don't understand that. That's why people are trying to defeat the devil today. You don't have to. Jesus did. Jesus did. He's defeated. He's defeated. He's defeated. He's defeated. He's defeated. You see, Satan has been deposed. You know what it means to depose a ruler? To remove him from his throne. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death, spiritual death, he might destroy him, that hard, he doesn't have it anymore, he used to have it, that hard the power of death and deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. See, we have been delivered already. He destroyed him. He destroyed him. Rutherham's translation there says that he might paralyze him. He's paralyzed. He's paralyzed. There's a man. His hands are paralyzed. His legs are paralyzed. He's lying on the floor crippled. And then the man says, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to so slap you. I'm going to beat you and beat you and beat the living daylights out of you. And then he starts shaking. He's going to beat me. He's going to beat me. He's going. You know, don't we feel like beating you? What do you do? You tell him, go ahead. I dare you. Beat me if you can. <laughs> beat me if you can. <laughs> ha 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 ha. Beat me if you can. The reverence that some preachers and some Christians have for the devil is disgust. John G. Lake said this. Camp meeting 1992. Monday night, Brother Hagen read it out. He said, quoting Lake, he said, some Christians talk so much about the devil. It makes him so mad, he wants to curse. So they talk about God like he's one dwarf a few inches above the ground. And they talk about the devil like he's one giant so many feet into the sky. This is what Lake went on to say. He said, to hell with them preachers. Brother Hagin said, I felt the same way, I just couldn't say it. <laughs> many of us feel the same way. Listen, the God of the Bible is infinitely bigger than the devil. There's not even the semblance of an ant to an elephant. Jesus brought Satan to nothing. He's a nobody. He's a nobody. He's nothing. You see, the Bible, you see, there's a Bible-sized God and a Bible-sized devil. The Bible size of the devil is that he's Satan, the eternally defeated one. He's eternally defeated. He's eternally defeated. And yet sometimes we so magnify his works. We talk about him with so much respect. Oh, you know? One fellow went to preach one time, a minister, you know, in a church. And then there was an outbreak of flu, the flu epidemic. They closed schools, closed ball games. And then the fellow said, look, I'll never get the flu. The pastor of the church who was preaching said, I wouldn't say that for anything if I were you. Then he asked him, he said, why? <laughs> you know what he said? Don't you know the devil will hear you? <laughs> the man shouted out back. He's the very dude I wanted to hear me. I said it for his benefit. I'm never going to have the flu. And I don't mind telling you, I'm done with sickness. I'm done with disease. Last headache I had was in August of 1986. I'm going to live my life out without sickness, without disease. I, you won't hear that I died young because I won't. It's a choice. Paul said, I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to, have, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Say that which I will choose. It's your choice to decide when you die. And I made my choice, and I will live long. You hear people say, well, hey, you know, uh, 
with a submission to the will of God, we announced the death of someone died at 26. My friend, shut up. Was in the will of God. Was in the will of God. Don't say it was submission to the will of God. Was in the will of God. You know, sometimes someone that will say, so-and-so answered his home call. Listen, God didn't call him home. It's not a home calling. It's a home going. <laughs> but doesn't God uh, decide the day you die? God doesn't decide when you die. God doesn't decide when you die. I know. That upsets some religious minds. God doesn't decide when you die. It's not God's choice. It's not God's decision. Let me ask you something. If I called you to my house and I put food in front of you and I put a mountain of rice, of beans, of pounded yam, of everything, mountain, and I said, well, eat until you are satisfied. Who determines how much you eat? It's not my terminal, it's your own. God said in Psalm 91 verse 16, with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. But doesn't the Bible say it's appointed unto man when to die? The Bible doesn't say so. Maybe you are thinking of Hebrews 9.27. It's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. Not when to die. The truth is that even death in the first place was in God's plan. It's a consequence of Adam's transgression. Yes, we're going to have a glorified body one day that won't die. Yes, our outward man is perishing while we're here. But listen, you don't have to die early. And you don't have to die of sickness. You don't have to die of disease. You don't have to die in plane crash. You don't have to die of accident. You've got authority. You've got dominion. Robbers don't have to be the ones that squeeze the life out of you. You don't have to die of, of bomb blast. You don't have to die of those things. You say you're talking like, you're talking like you have authority. Yeah, I do. That's how I'm talking. You're talking like I have authority. You do. That's why I'm saying what I'm saying. We've got authority. See, the devil doesn't want the church to know it. He knows that the moment we find out our authority, ah, we're going to preach the gospel. He knows. He knows the moment we find out we have authority, ooh, we're going to reach the unreached. He knows. The moment we find out we have authority, money won't keep us from doing what God called us to do. Because we'll take, we'll exercise that authority. We'll take a hold of the finances that's needed. And when we find out we've got authority, he won't be able to keep us sick anymore. We'll be strong and healthy in body to be able to do what God has called us to do. See, there's a harvest that is to be reaped. There's a work that is to be done. God the Father said to Jesus, said, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. How is God going to make Jesus' enemies his footstool? Through the church. We are the ones to put the devil in his place. We are the ones to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the ability of the enemy. We are the ones to rise in our authority, to rise in our dominion, to take our place, to take our place. An invincible force. You see, the believer, eh? if only we knew it, we are invincible. Yeah. Am I saying we won't have tests? I'm not saying that we'll have tests, we'll have trials. We'll have adverse circumstances come at us because we still live in a world where the devil is God and he's a rebel holder of authority. He's a dethroned power. He's been dethroned, but he's still ruling because a lot of folks in this world don't know he's dethroned. And yes, Adam's lease is also yet to run out. So he has a right to be here, but he doesn't have a right to rule over me. And he won't because I won't let him. He doesn't have a right to rule over you. And I know he won't because you won't let him. We've got authority. We've got authority. More authority than we have imagined that we had. More authority than we have imagined that we had. We're not at the devil's mercy. He's at our mercy. Yes, there's a new sheriff in town. We are that new sheriff. 
Amen. We've got authority. In Revelation 1, 17 and 18. Revelation 1, 17 and 18. Remember what we said. Jesus spoiled principalities and powers. He disarmed them. He stripped them of that authority. After he did that, he arose from the dead. And he said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. How did he get all that authority? Because he collected it back from the devil by defeating Satan. Revelation 1, 17 and 18. And when I saw him, this is John, on the Isle of Patmos, John the Apostle, who used to be one of the sons of Boanerges, became an apostle of love. See, God does wonders with people. I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of death and of hell. Of hell and of death. See, whoever has the keys is the authorized one. Jesus is the authorized one. By the time you not only defeat the devil, you have the key to his house. You can lock him out anytime you want. You see, he has the keys now. Your Lord is also the Lord over the devil. He's also a boss over principalities and powers. He's also got dominion over the forces of evil. Now, why did Jesus defeat the devil? Why? Listen, as God, there wasn't a contest between God and the devil. Never. One is the creator, the other is a creature. See, God, just by a blast of his nostril, can just do, and the dude can dematerialize. Are you listening? There wasn't a contest. So I studied physics in uh, secondary school. Did some courses in physics in the university too. Remember physics? In physics, the laws of motion, mechanics. Body continues in a state of rest or uniform motion in a straight line. Let's impress forces act on it. The rate of change of momentum of a body, driving pressure should be applied force. Takes place in the direction in which the body reacts. And then the third one, to every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. I think some people did so much physics and they were hearing equal and opposite, equal and opposite, until they thought God and the devil are equal and opposites. You see, they may be opposites, but they are not equals. One is the creator. The other is a creature. Who is the devil, really? He's an angel that lost his job. See, when Lucifer stared his rebellion in heaven, God did not fight him. That's an insult. It was Michael that flung him out of heaven. God just sat down. What's going on here? What's that yeah, yeah guy doing? Michael said, I beg, make us make show him meme. He flung him out of the place. Are you listening to me? So, why did God then, why did Jesus defeat him? He did it for the church. In the last 2,000 years, Jesus hasn't had to use his name, the name of Jesus once. He doesn't need to. As God, he rules creation by his word. So, why did he obtain that name? With all the power and authority and majesty in the name, he did it for the church. Jesus' victory over Satan is my victory over Satan. You can tell the devil, Satan, I defeated you 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus did it in my stead. It was as though I'm the one who did it. Why do you think 1 John 4, 4 says, Ye of God, little children, and have overcome them. When did you overcome the devil? 2,000 years ago. When Jesus overcame the devil. Jesus' victory is our victory. Jesus' triumph is our triumph. And Jesus is the authorized one. He's the one who has the keys of death and of hell. 1 Corinthians 2.6, it says, How be it, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, them that are mature. Not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. You see, he is come to naught. You know what naught is? Nothing, 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 nothing. 
How greater is God than the devil? I studied mathematics. In mathematics, when you take one and divide it by zero, they tell you that the answer is something like a sleeping eight. Is infinity. The one in you is infinitely bigger than the devil in the world. Is infinitely bigger. Infinitely bigger. Infinitely bigger. Infinitely bigger. He brought the devil to nothing. Nothing. Reduced him to nothing. He laid him bare so that we can trample on him. See, some people's idea of the rapture is that the church will cry, Oh, Jesus, please come. We are all backsliding. The devil has taken everything over before he takes all of us over. That's not what I see in the epistles. What I see in the epistles is more like the devil saying, Jesus, please come and get them. I'd rather be in hell than have to face these guys. What they are showing me is more than hell. You see, we are the church triumphant. We've got dominion. We've got dominion. We've got dominion. We've got authority. And we're to use it. We're to bring it to bear in this life. We're to reign. We're to rule. We're to dominate circumstances. Circumstances. You see, things don't run us. We run things. Are you listening? We run things. We run things. We run things. We need to see that. Not just here in this noodle on top of our shoulders. We need to see it in our spirits. We need to see it on the inside of us. We need to see that Satan has been defeated. He has been deposed. He has been removed from that throne that he sat. Another king is there now and it's you. In your life, you are the king. You have authority. You know, sometimes we say, oh God, come and deal with the devil for me. Come and deal with the devil for me. We deal with the devil. Deal with the devil. Deal with the devil. Deal with the devil. My friend, you're just doing bodily exercise. Maybe it will profit you a little bit. God is not going to deal with the devil for you. God dealt with the devil 2,000 years ago. Amen. He brought him to naught. Now, as we round off this hour, Ephesians 1, in that prayer that we referred to, started with, remember, from verse 19 to 23, it says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power? See, Paul prayed that the church at Ephesus will know the exceeding greatness of God's power. That's at work towards us who believe. Now, the power that's at work towards us can only be likened to that which God wrought in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above, far above. See, if it had been above, that would have been above enough. But he said it is even above being above. It is far above. All principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come it says and has put all things under his feet God put all things all those principalities powers might dominion name that's named in this world the world to come he put all things under the feet of Jesus he says and he gave Jesus to be the head over all things to the church and he says the church is his body now don't forget he put all those forces of hell far beneath the feet of Jesus he gave Jesus to be the head and he said the church is the body where are all the forces of hell beneath the feet far beneath the feet far beneath the feet not just beneath the feet far beneath the feet of Jesus and remember who is the head Jesus, Jesus is the head who is the body Jesus. I want to ask you a question where is your body? Is it on top of your head? Where are your feet? Are your feet growing in your head? Your feet are in your body. 
Your feet are the lowest parts of your body. Are you listening to me? Listen. Even if you are the little toenail on the left foot of Jesus, even if you are that weak Christian, the weakest of Christians, the devil is still far beneath you. The day you got born again, the day you came into Christ, you became far above the forces of hell. See, many times, the devil brings onslaughts and attacks at us, and we are fighting him as if we are fighting a mate. He's not your mate. We're fighting him as if we are fighting a boss. He's not your boss. The truth is, he's far beneath you. 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 So what do you do? You just... You put him in his place. He's far beneath you. Take your place. Satan has been defeated. Satan has been defeated. Most Christians don't know that. We haven't seen it in our spirits like we should. See, that person who is behind that sickness in your body is the one I'm talking about. That person who is behind that situation in your family, that's the person I'm talking about. That person who is trying to lord it over you with sin, he's the one I'm talking about. He has been defeated. He has been defeated. He has been defeated. He has been defeated. Tell your neighbor, he has been defeated. Tell another neighbor, he has been defeated. Jesus is the victor. And we are victorious because we are in him. For more information and inquiries, please visit our website www.remanigeria.com or you can reach us on 08100163948 or 08076576163.